0: the text that we are going to read from the book of Exodus is very long. This is unusual. I typically do not take such large portions of Scripture to preach through, but it seemed to be uh, the right approach to take uh, as we continue our journey through the book of Exodus. And so we will read Exodus chapter 25 all the way through to the end of chapter 27. It will require... Your focus. It will require your attention. Engage your imaginations here. Use them as the construction of the tabernacle is here uh, described to us. Instructions uh, for the construction of the tabernacle are here uh, given. You will need to try to visualize uh, these things. Um, brothers and sisters, my view is that pastors are called to publicly read the scriptures, to explain the scriptures, and then to make some suggestions for application from the text. And that is what... I will do this morning. So please give yourselves now to to the attention and uh, give your attention to the reading of God's most holy word. Exodus chapter 25, beginning now in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst." exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. The cubit was approximately 18 inches. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and you shall make it On a molding of gold, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony. That I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. And a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Cherubim are angels. And hammered work shall you make them. Of hammered work shall you make them. On the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end. And the one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat. Shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment. For the people of Israel. 25, 23. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it for a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold, and fasten the rings to the four corners of its four legs. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense, and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. 2531. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work, its base, its stems, its cups, its calyxes, and its flower shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms with each calyx and flower on the other branch, so for the six branches going up out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamp shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it, Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown to you on the mountain. 26.1 Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with tin curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them The length of each curtain shall be twenty-eight cubits, and the breadth of each curtain four cubits, and the curtain shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain on the second set." Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another, and you shall make fifty clasps of gold, and couple the curtains one to another with the clasps, so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. You shall make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost on one set, and fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost on the second set. You shall make fifty clasps of bronze and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and that side to cover it. And you shall make the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and a covering of goat skins on top. You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood, 10 cubits shall be the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, 20 frames for the south side, and 40 bases of silver you shall make under the 20 frames, two bases under the one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons." And for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, twenty frames, and there are forty bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six frames. You shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacle in the rear, and they shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top, at the first ring. Thus shall it be with both of them, and they shall form the two corners." And there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, sixteen bases, two bases under one frame, and two bases under another frame. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar, halfway up the frame, shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold, and shall make their rings of gold for holders for the bars. And you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold and four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil From the class, and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil, and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, of fine twined linen embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hook shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. 27, one. You shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits broad the altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits and you shall make horns for it on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make pots for it to receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks and fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall also make for it a great, a grating, a, a network of bronze. And on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners And you shall set it under the ledge of the altar, so that the net extends halfway down the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put through the rings, so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it has been shown to you on the mountain, so shall it be made. You shall make the court of the tabernacle on the south side of the, the, the court shall have hangings of fine twined linen, a hundred cubits long for one side. Its twenty pillars and their twenty bases shall be of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for its length on the north side there shall be hangings a hundred cubits long, its pillars twenty, and their bases twenty of bronze, but the hooks Of the pillars, and their fillets shall be of silver. And for the breadth of the courtyard on the west side, there shall be hangings for fifty cubits, with ten pillars and ten bases. The breadth of the court on the front to the east shall be fifty cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits with their three pillars and three bases. On the other side, the hanging shall be fifteen cubits, with their three pillars and three bases. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen, twenty cubits long of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen embroidered with needlework. It shall have four pillars, and with them four bases. All the pillars around the court shall be fitted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver, and their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be a hundred cubits, The breadth, fifty, and the height, five cubits, with hangings of fine twined linen and bases of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for every use, and all its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. 27.20 You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. And the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony Aaron And his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Now let us go to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, excuse me, chapter 8, and read the New Testament text for this morning. The writer to the Hebrews says this, Hebrews 8, 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant... He makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this morning. In the time we have remaining, I do wish to answer two basic questions before offering you some suggestions for application. The first question that I wish to answer is this. What was the tabernacle? And after that, I will address the question, What was the significance of the tabernacle? And I hope you can see that it is one thing to know about the dimensions and details of the tabernacle's construction, but it is quite another thing to understand its significance, its purpose, or its meaning. It is certainly important for us to understand what the tabernacle was, that is to say, how it was made and what its features were, And we must start there. But after that, we must ask the deeper question, what was the significance or meaning of the tabernacle that was constructed by the people of Israel under the Old Covenant? Why was it given? What was it for? What did it communicate about God, about His relationship to man, and about His plans and purposes concerning the redemption that He would provide for His people And so these two questions. First of all, what was the tabernacle? That is the basic question. And in general, we are to say that it was a portable sanctuary built by Israel with precious things according to God's design. These general facts are introduced to us in Exodus 25 verses 1 through 9. Firstly, we are to see that it was a portable sanctuary or temple. In 25, eight, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, And let them, that is, let Israel, make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That this sanctuary was designed to be portable so that Israel could take it with them as they sojourn towards the promised land will become clear later in this passage. In fact, we already see hints at it because all of these features, they were to have rings on some of these things and poles to carry these items with them as they went on the way it was a portable sanctuary but here I want to draw your attention to the fact that it was a sanctuary or a temple once constructed it would be the place where Israel was to worship God and it would be there in the tabernacle that God would manifest his glory in a special way and let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst the Lord says Yes, we must confess that the Lord is omnipresent. He is fully in all places and at all times. But just as God is present in a special way in the heavenly realm that He created in the beginning, so too He determined to be present in a special way in the midst of Israel in the tabernacle. Make that connection in your minds even now. In the beginning, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. His glory is manifest in a special way before the elect angels in heaven even now. And in a similar manner, the Lord determined to make His glory and His presence known to Israel in a special way in this tabernacle which they were told to construct. This tabernacle was a sanctuary or temple. Secondly, this sanctuary was to be built by Israel. We see this in verse 2 of chapter 25. Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And at the end of this text that I have read, we see that uh, the emphasis goes back there again. The people were to bring in contributions of oil so that the lamp may burn continually continually the text says. So not only was Israel to construct the tabernacle, they were to construct it with their contributions that they themselves had willingly made. They were to pour themselves in uh, to this temple. I think that is a significant observation that I cannot flesh out for you entirely now, but something similar happened even from the nations when the temple was built in Jerusalem, and, and certainly we ourselves make up the temple of God today under the new covenant era. I'll leave it there for now. Thirdly, the sanctuary was to be built by Israel with precious things in verse, verses three through five of exodus twenty five we read, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them: gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat 's hair, tanned ramskins, goatskins, acacia wood. these were the materials that the tabernacle was to be constructed out of. these were precious things. a lot of gold was poured into this tabernacle. The precious things, the most holy things, were plated in gold or they were made of pure gold. And so we are to see that these precious things were to be an earthly reflection of the glory of God in heaven. Do not forget the vision that Israel was just shown of the throne room of God in heaven. Uh, That was told to us in the preceding passage. Now we see that these precious earthly things, things like gold and silver, are being used to, to, to... to to create a kind of reflection of the glory of God as it is in the heavenly realm. Fourthly, this sanctuary was to be built by Israel with precious things according to God's design. This command is repeated in different ways throughout the passage that we just read, but it is stated for the first time in 25.9. There the Lord says, "...exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture you shall make it." So Moses is told on the mountain how this tabernacle was to be made. In fact, we are to believe that he was shown a vision of it. Uh, the tabernacle that was constructed by Israel was to be a replica of the vision that Moses saw and of the instructions that he received. And indeed, that emphasis is made in the Hebrews 8 passage that I read just a moment ago. This tabernacle was a copy of heavenly realities. Again, I say that command was repeated throughout the text that we have just read. Do it according to the design that I'm showing you, the Lord said to Moses. So I have told you what the tabernacle was in general. It was a sanctuary built by Israel with precious things according to God's design. It was the place where God would manifest His glory to Israel, where they were invited to approach Him, worship Him, and serve Him. But now let us consider the specific parts of it. They are described to us in Exodus 25.10, through twenty-seven nineteen, and perhaps you noticed this as I read. The most holy things are described to us first, and the least holy things are described last. That is the order of the text. Um, the most holy things are described first, and the least holy things are described last. Firstly, in twenty-five ten through twenty-two we find instructions for the construction of the Ark of the Testimony, which is also called the Ark of the Covenant. This was a rather small chest, 45 inches wide by 27 inches deep by 27 inches tall, made of acacia wood and overlaid inside and out with pure gold. It was designed so that the tablets containing the law of the covenant, which God would write on stone, would be kept within it. The lid of this chest was called the mercy seat. It was made of pure gold. On top of it were the images of two angels, one on the left and one on the right with their wings stretched out toward the middle. In twenty-five twenty-two, we read... The words of the Lord to Moses, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So, this is where God would meet with Israel. This is where God would speak to Moses, and this is where God would meet with Israel. That is to say, above the mercy seat and between the angels. This Ark of the Covenant, which we are now describing, was to be kept in a a special place in the tabernacle. It was not to be kept in the courtyard. It was not even to be kept in the holy place, but it was to be placed within the Holy of Holies, behind the veil, through which only Moses and the high priests would go. The high priests would go once a year, and not without the blood of a sacrificed animal to sprinkle on the mercy seat for the purification of their own sins and the sins of the nation. Secondly, In 25, 23 through 30, we find instructions for the construction of the table, which was to hold the bread of presence. This bread is sometimes called the show bread. It was to be set before the face of God as a perpetual reminder of His provision for His people. Twelve loaves would be placed before God in two groups of six, signifying the twelve tribes of Israel. Each day fresh loaves would be placed out and the priests were to eat the day-old bread. Notice this. It was the priests as representatives of the people who would eat the bread. It was not God who would consume the bread. It was the priests who would eat it. And where was this table of the bread of presence to be placed? Not behind the veil in the Holy of Holies, but in the holy place in front of the veil where the priests would have Daily access to it. And certainly this bread of the presence signifies, signified Israel's communion with God. We are to remember what Israel did after the Old Covenant was confirmed. And as they saw the heavenly throne room of God opened up for them for a time while on the mountain. What did the people of Israel do being represented by, by Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders, we were told that they ate and they drank before God, there as the covenant was confirmed with them. What did that eating and drinking do? What did it signify except that this people had been brought into a special relationship with Yahweh? This people was to enjoy covenantal communion with Yahweh. Uh, They had been brought into this special relationship with Him, and so they ate and drank before Him, and I I'm saying to you that this table of the bread of presence and the bread that was upon it as it was eaten by the priests was a reminder of this covenantal communion that the people of Israel enjoyed with Yahweh. They made this table and they set it in the tabernacle. And I want you to see here that it was the Lord who initiated this. It was the Lord who initiated it, who built the table and who baked the bread. It was the people, but it was the Lord that commanded that it be done. In other words, it was the Lord himself who set this table before the people of Israel. It was the Lord who invited Israel through the mediation of their priests to draw near to him and to have communion with him. Brothers and sisters, we must see that the Lord has set a table for us under the new covenant. And within the temple of God. Has he not? The Lord has set this table before us. And by this table the Lord invites us to draw near to him through faith in the crucified and risen Lord. To enjoy sweet communion with him. On this table, which is called the Lord's table, the new covenant, bread of presence, is set before God's people, signifying Christ's broken body, our covenantal communion with God through faith in Him, and that He is with us always, even to the end of the age. In that sense, this bread here is truly the bread of presence. Thirdly, in twenty-five thirty-one through 40, instructions are given for the construction of the lampstand, Perhaps you have heard this lampstand called the menorah, which is the Hebrew word translated as lampstand. This lampstand was shaped like a tree. It had a trunk and seven branches, one in the middle and three on each side. The light of this lampstand would illuminate the holy place in which it was set. It was not set in the Holy of Holies, but out in the holy place where the priests ministered daily. And the light of this lampstand would illuminate the holy place. By this light, the priests would walk and be able to see the tapestry and the bread of the presence. This light was a reminder that in the beginning, God said, let there be light. This lampstand represented the sun, moon, and stars within the tabernacle, which I will argue was designed to remind the worshiper of the created world. This tree was a strange tree, in that it had flowers, buds, and fruit on it all at once. This is a reminder of God's continual provision through the cycles of the seasons, springtime, and harvest. This tree-shaped lampstand also represented the tree of life that was present in the garden from which man was barred when he fell into sin. We will soon come to talk about the significance of the tabernacle, but I cannot help to draw your attention to this symbolism. The tabernacle, I will argue, was a picture of heavenly realities. It was also a picture of Eden, a reminder of Eden. Fourthly, in 26, 1 through 37 we find instructions for the construction of the tabernacle itself, the building. The tabernacle consisted of two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place with a courtyard around uh, those rooms. The holy place was about 30 feet long by 15 feet wide and 15 feet tall. The most holy place was shaped like a cube, 15 by 15 by 15. So in total, the tabernacle was 45 by 15 by 15. Not a very large uh, building at all, not a very large tent. In between the holy place and the most holy place was a curtain or veil, With large angels embroidered upon it, can you visualize it? This was the veil that was famously torn in two from top to bottom when Christ rose, when Christ was crucified on the cross. These these angels embroidered on this veil were certainly intended to remind the worshipper of the angel that was placed outside of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life and into the presence of God. These angels, if you can picture it, they stood guard and separated the holy place from the most holy place where the presence of God was manifest above uh, the Ark of the Covenant and between those cherubim on the mercy seat. So you can picture these angels, I I imagine it being a rather ominous image, standing guard, saying, saying, Enter not, except the high priest once per year, to represent the people and not without animal blood. The tabernacle itself was constructed with inner curtains. These were also embroidered with angels to remind the worshiper of the heavenly hosts that looked down upon them continuously. On the outside of these elaborate curtains was a layer of animal hides to protect the tabernacle from the elements. These were hung on wooden beams, overlaid with gold on golden hooks and rings. You need to engage your imaginations, brothers and sisters. Can you imagine walking into the holy place and seeing all of the gold? The lamps stand here, the table of presents here. We're not told of it in this text, but the altar of incense before you and and the veil. The veil with the angels standing guard, separating the holy place from the most holy place and and rich tapestries all around you with angels embroidered upon them reminding you of the heavenly hosts that look put down upon us from on high. It would have been a marvelous experience. Fifthly, in 27, one through 8 instructions for the construction of the bronze altar upon which animal sacrifices were to be burnt are given. The bronze altar was 7.5 feet square and 4.5 and feet tall. Along with it, utensils for tending the fire and the sacrifices were made, along with poles to carry it from place to place. Sixthly, and lastly, as it pertains to the elements of the um, tabernacle, in 27, 9 through 19, instructions for the construction of the courtyard are given. The courtyard was to be enclosed with fine twine linen, hung on pillars with bases of bronze and with hooks of silver. Maybe you. Notice that the metals are getting less precious the further we get from the most holy place. An entrance gate gate was also to be made. It was to be made of blue and purple and scarlet yarn with a width of 30 feet. The dimensions of the whole courtyard were 150 feet long by 75 feet wide, with walls seven and a half feet high. All of the utensils of the courtyard were to be made of bronze, and that includes the large laver for washing, Which will be described to us in Exodus 30, along with other items that were particularly associated with the ministry of the priesthood. So it should be clear to you now what the tabernacle was. This is what the tabernacle was. I hope you understand the facts about its features and dimensions. But now we must ask the deeper question what was it for? What was the purpose, significance, or meaning? What did the tabernacle communicate to Israel and through them to the world? We're reading along in the book of Exodus, and strange things are happening. Israel is redeemed from Egyptian bondage. They're led in the wilderness for a time. They're fed by God. Their thirst is satiated. They're brought to a mountain and God descends upon that mountain and He speaks to them. He gives them His law. Indeed, when the covenant is confirmed, the people are invited up through the representation of their leaders and they're shown a vision of heaven. Now, all of a sudden, they're making a tent. (laughs) What is this about? Why has the Lord commanded this? Why did He instruct Israel to do this thing? Why Is he so particular about the details of the construction of this tabernacle? I wanted you to feel, (laughs) I wanted you to feel how specific and exact the details were. That is why I read to you Exodus 25 all the way through to the end of 27. I wanted you to feel the exactness of the instructions that were given to Israel concerning the making of this tabernacle. Why did the Lord do it? What is the meaning of it? What is it meant to communicate to Israel and through them, to the world concerning God and his dealings with with man. I I hope you can see why this is the deeper and more important question. If, If you were to ask me, what is baptism? Or what is the Lord's Supper? I could tell you all about the proper recipients, the elements used, and how they are to be administered. But as important as those facts are, that sort of answer would be only superficial. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are sacraments... That means that they symbolize spiritual realities. And if you really want to understand baptism and the Lord's Supper, you must know what the dipping of a person in water and the eating of bread and drinking of wine signify. That is where the real meaning of baptism is found and the real meaning of the Lord's Supper is found. Not not in the elements and not in the technicalities of the administration of these things, but The real meaning is found in the symbolism. They are sacraments. And I I want you to see that something similar is going on here with the tabernacle. Uh, The tabernacle, if I may use this word, had a kind of sacramental uh, reality to it. It had a, a kind of sacramental quality to it. So that it was not only an earthly tent with certain features, you know made according to the commandment of God. But these, these features signified something. They had a symbolism that must not be missed. I, I think I can briefly answer the question. What was the significance of the tabernacle under three headings? Place, picture, and promise. Place, picture, and promise. Firstly, the tabernacle was the place Where Israel was to worship the Lord and where God would dwell in the midst of them in a special way. The tabernacle was a holy place. It was the place where Israel was to worship the Lord and where God would dwell in the midst of them in a special way under the Old Covenant. There at the tabernacle and later the temple, Israel was invited to draw near to God in the way that he had prescribed. The tabernacle was the place of God's special presence. Of the Old Covenant. You know, in the past, I have taught you that the kingdom of God was prefigured within Old Covenant Israel. Do Do you recognize that language that I've presented to you over and over and over again throughout the years? The kingdom of God was prefigured within Old Covenant Israel. The kingdom was offered to Adam but forfeited. Promised to Adam, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was prefigured within Israel under the old Mosaic covenant. It was inaugurated or started at Christ's first coming with the making of the new covenant. And that is why Christ and John the Baptist before him came and said, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it will be consummated or completed when Christ comes again to judge and to bring his elect into the new heavens and new earth, which he has purchased with his blood. The whole story of the Bible, can be described in terms of the establishment of God's kingdom on earth and amongst men. And what is the kingdom of God? What is it? What is the kingdom of God except for the holy God ruling and reigning in the midst of a holy people in a holy realm? That is what the kingdom of God is. The holy God ruling and reigning in the midst of a holy people in a holy realm taught you in previous sermons that the kingdom of God is the holy God dwelling in the midst of a holy people in a holy realm and and if you wish to know what the kingdom of God is in its full and consummate state you may go to the very end of the book of Revelation and read of the vision that John saw of the new heavens and new earth. He saw a vision of the holy God ruling and reigning in the midst of a holy people in a holy realm. That was what was offered to Adam. That what was, is what was promised to the patriarchs. That is what was prefigured in Old Covenant Israel and inaugurated at Christ's first coming. Everything is heading towards the consummation of the kingdom when Christ returns. In Old Covenant Israel, the kingdom of God was prefigured. It was it was symbolized. It was not yet present with power. Again, I say this is why John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But it was prefigured in Israel. And if the kingdom of God is the holy God dwelling in the midst of His holy people in a holy realm, then you can see that the tabernacle and later the temple was the particular place through which God was present with His people. Do you see it? God is going to have Israel as His people. He's going to be with them in a special way. He's going to be present with them. Well, how so? In the place of the tabernacle and later in the place of the temple. That is where he would manifest his glory in a powerful way. That is where the people would be invited to approach him. They were to approach him according to God's design so that they could approach him in a way that was safe. Why the tabernacle? Did God need a house? To shelter him from the elements, you see? Is that, is that what this is about? Did God need a house? Did he need a tent? And later, did he need a house built of stone? He, in fact, tells David, I don't need one. I'm the creator of heaven and earth. I don't need one. This isn't about shelter for me. But this is about you giving you an opportunity to approach me. This is about my presence with you. And, and you're to approach me in this way so that you might be kept safe so that you might be sheltered from my wrath, from my holiness. And thus there, under the Old Covenant, there is a holy place, and there is a most holy place, and there is a veil that separates the two. The sanctuary was built not for God, but it was built for man, so that sinful man might have a way to draw near to the Holy One and not be consumed. Two, the tabernacle was a picture It was a place, a very important place. It was also a picture. I've already said that I could make an argument for the tabernacle being a picture of Eden. I think it was certainly that. The tree-shaped lampstand clues us into this. But for the sake of time, I will emphasize that the tabernacle was a picture of heavenly realities. Again, I say one should not forget that Israel was just given a glimpse into the heavenly throne room of God through the mediation of Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders as they went up on the mountain. They they saw through the the floor of heaven, as it were, into the throne room of God. Now, Israel is instructed to build this tabernacle according to the, the design that God showed to Moses on the mountain. The most holy place, the most holy place, was a picture of the throne room of God in heaven. No image was made of God, but the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and the angels which adorned it symbolized God's throne room. There between the cherubim and above the mercy seat, God would be present with Israel. The tabernacle, and particularly the most holy place, was a picture of heaven. It was to remind the worshiper of God who is in heaven. Secondly, the tabernacle was a picture of the earth and of man's approach to the God of heaven from on earth. And here I want you to imagine walking into the courtyard of the tabernacle through those wide curtains. Imagine it. You're coming out from the camp of Israel. From, you're coming from a common place, and you're beginning to enter into a holy place. You, you enter into that courtyard through those wide curtains. And what is the very first thing that you would see? What is the very first thing that you would see as you enter into, those court, into the courtyard of the, of the tabernacle? You would see the altar, the brazen altar, upon which burnt sacrifices were to be offered up to God. That is what you would see. Immediately you would have been reminded of your sin and of the need for atonement so that God's wrath would be turned away from you. You would then pass the brazen altar and you would come to a bronze laver filled with water. We'll be told about this in, in a later text uh, in, in detail. And there you would be reminded of your need for purification. For purification. This water was to be used to purify the body. Then you would enter into the holy place. And there you would be struck by the contrast between the harsh, dry, and dusty world outside and the pleasant beautifully ornate and glorious comfort of the sanctuary. The light of the lampstand shining in the darkness would remind you of the stars of heaven and of God, the source of all light. By this light you would see the beautiful tapestry and the embroidered images of angels. These images would remind you of the spiritual world and of the angels of God who look down upon us day and night. The lampstand itself being shaped like a tree would remind you of the tree of life offered to Adam and Eden but forfeited by him. The bread of the presence would remind you of God's gracious provision for you while you sojourn before him on earth. And though we did not read of the altar of incense in this passage, it will be described in Exodus 30, it was placed immediately in front of the veil. Can you picture it then? Lampstand, table of presence, an altar of incense placed right in front of the veil, which separated the holy place from the most holy place. On this altar of incense, priests would burn incense. And the smoke from it and the pleasant aroma of it would make its way past the veil and into the Holy of Holies. That is to say, into the very presence of God. What did this smoke from this incense symbolize except the prayers of God's people? Brothers and sisters, when you pray on earth with faith in Jesus the Messiah, your prayers are heard by God who is in heaven. He hears your prayers. That was the truth being signified by the smoke from this altar of incense. They make their ways, and our prayers make their way into the presence of God through the mediation of God's priest, Christ the Lord. And so I am saying to you that the tabernacle in its entirety was a picture of the heavenly throne throne room of God and the Holy of Holies, and the way that the Lord had made for sinful men and women to approach Him from on earth. That was the picture. That was the, if you will, the story that was told by the tabernacle as the worshiper approached God in this way. And to understand this, it might help, help to visualize the tabernacle and then to tilt it heavenward in your minds. So that you can see it as a kind of ladder to God in heaven. Through the gates... And into the courtyard, past the altar, past the laver, and into the holy place, having been covered by the blood and washed by the water. There the Lord would commune with Israel. There the God of heaven would commune with His people on earth. Israel was invited to approach the God of heaven in this way, through the mediation of their priesthood. But I want you to notice something very, very important. Under the old covenant... In the tabernacle and later in the temple, a veil remained which separated the holy place from the most holy place. On that veil, angels were embroidered as if standing guard to block the people from having full access to the God of heaven. Yes, it is true that the smoke from the altar of incense would continuously make its way in. And yes, it is true the high priest was invited in once a year but not without animal blood to atone for his own sin and the sins of the people. So the way in was not completely closed off. We are to see that indeed the people of God under the Old Covenant, through faith and the promises of God, did enjoy true communion with the God of Heaven. But neither was it thrown wide open in Old Covenant times. This way into the presence of God was not thrown wide open in Old Covenant times. As you know, uh, this tabernacle would be torn in two from top to bottom. This veil rather in the tabernacle would be torn in two from top to bottom when Christ died. And this brings us to the third word which describes what the tabernacle was. The tabernacle was the place where God dwelt in the midst of old covenant Israel. It was a picture of God's heavenly throne room and of the way that God had made for man to approach him from on earth. Thirdly The tabernacle was also a kind of promise. Place, picture, promise. Any Israelite who understood what was offered to Adam in the beginning but lost by his fall into sin, any Israelite who knew and understood the promises of God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob concerning the salvation that would be provided not for the Hebrews only, but for all the world through one of Abraham's seed, would know that the tabernacle was not the goal. It was not the end goal. Or to put it differently, though God's presence was really there in that tabernacle and though a way was made for Israel to approach the God of heaven in that place, the work of our full and final redemption and reconciliation to God was not accomplished there. The way was not opened up to God fully and finally. The tabernacle and later the temple was a picture Of the Savior who was to come. It was a picture of how the way into the presence of God would open wide for sinners. The way to God would be opened wide, not through the blood of animals, not through the washing of the body with water, and not through the mediation of Moses or the priests who descended from Aaron, but by the shed blood of the Messiah. Through the cleansing of the conscience that comes to those whose sins are truly forgiven through faith in Him. And through the mediation of Jesus Christ, a priest who came in the order of Melchizedek and the new covenant ratified in His blood. And so I say that the tabernacle was a kind of promise. A, kind of, a kind of promise that looked forward to the full and final accomplishment of our redemption, you see. So what was The tabernacle, well, we know what its features were. And there we must begin, but it has a significance, a meaning, a purpose that must be considered. It was the place where Israel came before God. It was a picture of heavenly realities and of our approach to God in heaven through the way that God had prescribed. It was a promise of good things yet to come, a new and better covenant, and the accomplishment of our redemption through Jesus, the Messiah. So what benefit is there for the new covenant of people of God to consider these things? We're not to worship at the tabernacle. So why even talk about its design? Why even discuss its features and its significance? Well, first of all, we must acknowledge that the tabernacle is no longer the place where God dwells in the midst of his people. Where does God commune with his people now it was to the church that paul said do you not know that you are god's temple and that god's spirit dwells in you 1 corinthians 3:16 it was to the new covenant church made up of jews and gentiles together that peter said you yourselves are like living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.5 And so I ask you again, where is it that God communes with His people now? Or to say it another way, where is God's temple now? Where is God's tabernacle? Where does God meet with His people? Uh, perhaps I'll say it yet another way. Where has God set His table? Before his people. Where has he set his table? With bread and with drink for them. He has set his table. Not in a tent. Nor in a house of stone. But before his people. Who have been covered by the blood of the Messiah. And washed in the waters of baptism. As you reflect upon the tabernacle. And as you consider its fulfillment in Christ. In the church of Christ. It ought to open up worlds of application before you. Uh, it, 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 It ought to give you so much to ponder, brothers and sisters. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are being built up into a house for God's dwelling, to summarize what Peter has said. So what application does this have for us? Well, so much application. Think of all that God has done for you. To reconcile you to Himself and to open up the way for you really and fully and eternally through the curtain that is through Christ's flesh. Does that not move you to gratitude? Does that not fill your heart with awe and with gratitude for the work that God has done? He has made a way for you. He has set His love upon you. He has called you to Himself. And He has cleansed you so much so that your flesh is not only cleansed, but your conscience is cleansed before Him. So that you might even call Him Abba, Father. Brothers and sisters, your hearts should be filled with awe and with gratitude as you consider the tabernacle and its fulfillment in Christ Jesus. This ought to also encourage you to pray, brothers and sisters. Are you diligent in prayer? Are you constant in prayer? What has God done for us? He has forgiven us of our sins through the shed blood of Christ. He has justified us. He has adopted us as His children. But what is the point? It is that we would come near to Him to have communion with Him. That we would, that we would walk with Him in this world and that He would be with us. Are you praying, brothers and sisters? The smoke from the altar of incense wafted up continuously under the Old Covenant, symbolizing the prayers of God's people. Are you praying to God? Are you offering up prayers to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, believing that indeed your prayers are heard by God because you've been washed, because you've been redeemed, because you've been adopted as His beloved children? This should encourage us to pray. This should encourage us to draw near to our Father in Heaven, to commune with Him truly. Brothers and sisters, I do pray that you have a sweet relationship with God who is in heaven. That is the point that we would have a sweet and right relationship with our maker and with our redeemer. Does this increase your longing for Christ's return, the consummation of His kingdom and the day when His temple will fill the earth when His glory will fill all and His people made holy by the blood of Christ will enjoy His presence forever and ever. Immediately and without interruption don't you long for that day in old covenant times Israel had this little replica <laughs> you know of heavenly realities and of our approach to God in heaven there God's presence was manifest before them how wonderful that gift was we should not belittle it but it was a small little replica pace it off sometime and see how tiny that tabernacle was it was not large at all smaller I think than this room you see much smaller than this room In the times of David, uh, he had a desire to build a house for the Lord. The Lord said, not you, but your son. And a great and grand structure was built. A temple, a permanent temple, where God was to be worshipped and where he would dwell in the midst of his people. It was a very grand temple, not to be belittled, but still just a speck on planet Earth, yes? But you can see the growth of it, can't you? Do you see the growth of it? No temple or tabernacle. And then in the days of Moses, a tent is built. A tabernacle is constructed, a small one, a modest one, one that is portable. Then something larger and more glorious. And then some of the prophets were shown visions of a temple. Hmm? Have you ever read of that vision that was shown to Ezekiel? Concerning the temple up on top of the mountain. It's massive. It's huge. The dimensions of it are, are glorious. You see the principle of expansion there as the Old Covenant progresses and as the New Covenant draws near. Yes? Expansion. And then when the New Covenant comes, we see that God's temple begins to spread to the furthest reaches of the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations is the commission that is given. You are the temple of God, the Apostle says. You are being built up into a house for Him, the Apostle says. You see the expansion to the ends of the earth? But we are sojourners still. There is a kingdom of light and there is a kingdom of darkness in this world, but when Christ returns, when Christ returns, where will His temple be found? It will not be a speck somewhere on earth, a small little humble tent or a tabernacle or a, a temple built with stone, but His temple will fill all. The kingdom of God is a holy God, dwelling in the midst of a holy people and a holy realm. What will that realm be in the new heavens and new earth? It will be all of creation. Do you long for that day? I long for that day. Lord Jesus, come quickly is our prayer. We must contemplate these things prayerfully and thoughtfully, if they are to bring encouragement to our souls, brothers and sisters, but they ought to bring encouragement to our souls. Thanks be to God for the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. May he bless his church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, your plan of salvation is marvelous. We thank you that it has been accomplished. We thank you that you have applied it to us by calling us by your word and spirit. You are gracious and merciful to us indeed. We give thanks to you, O God. Help us to walk in a worthy manner before you. You have built us up into a spiritual house. You have called us to be priests. O Lord, I pray that if we have faith in Christ, that we would walk in a holy manner before you. Help us by your mercy and grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.